Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 7, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. In today's sermon, Antichrist and Christians, Pastor Thomas Slager will be teaching from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small, I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people to suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. In 1995, there was a super popular Christian novel series that came out. Um, It was all about the end times. It's all about the Antichrist and and all these crazy things happening that are going to happen in the end. Maybe the way they depicted, maybe not, that we see in the book of Revelation. And this super popular uh, book series was called what? Left Behind. Right? It was a 16-book series that came out over the course of 12 years. Um, And I bet it shaped and and helped form a lot of your end-time theology or what's called eschatology. Um, I know for me, uh, the movie came out in 2000, which was great because it meant you didn't have to read the books. You could just watch the movie. Uh, And for the first time in my life, there was this like visual given for what might happen in the end times, right? There, There was people just disappearing and their piles of clothes were left right where they were. Remember this? Um, planes were crashing because pilots just disappeared. Cars were smashing against each other. Crane operators disappeared and cranes were going um, everywhere. It was utter chaos. The rapture happened and people were just taken away like a, like a flash and, and, they, and they were gone. Growing up with our Bible teacher when we were in middle school and later on in high school, um, if it was cold out and we had outerwear, we'd, we'd place our outerwear over the chairs and take our shoes off and do books like we were supposed to. And if our teacher showed up late, we'd lay our stuff out and we'd leave um, because we wanted our Bible teacher to think that we got left raptured and she got left behind. And it was hilarious. The second, third, and fourth time. Right? The, uh, the first time kind of caused some panic and, and chaos and everything else. Um, but it was fascinating to see, and I think that's the truth of it, is we're kind of fascinated with the end. What's it going to look like? What's, uh, what, what happens? We, we've got all sorts of end times movies. Remember 2012? Well, it was 2018, so that came and went. The storm that was supposed to end the world, it was this whole um, movie that, that didn't, didn't quite happen. People come and go that declare that when the world is going to end. Um, I googled this week the end times and found out we have a date, 2028. Um, Jesus is coming back, world is ending. That's what one guy says. Um, another guy claims to be a, um, a time traveler from the year 3000, not putting a whole lot of stock in that one. Um, he says the world's going to end soon, which doesn't equate. If you came from 3000 and the world's ending soon, I don't understand. It's just not going to work, right? So um, there's all sorts of different opinions and views on the end times and, and what it looks like. And we look in the scriptures, there's a lot of things we can know. Um, there's a lot of things we can't know. There's a lot of things we'll never know. But when we open this morning to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, we see there's one thing for sure we can know. So I invite you this morning, if you're not to turn there yet, go ahead and turn there, 1 John 2, 18 through 22. I'll read it, and then we'll pray and ask for God's help in understanding and application. 
Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize this morning it's your word that's been spoken and we trust it. God, we believe that it's authoritative for our life in such a way that to disbelieve it or disobey it is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. So God, this morning, would you help us align our lives, not with our own ideas and our own ideals, but with the ideas and ideals that you lay forth in your scriptures. God, help us love you not just with our actions, but God, we'd love you with, with our intellect. We'd love you with our emotions. We'd love you with everything. We'd love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our minds, and all of our strength. God, this morning we ask that you would use the scriptures we're studying to do just that, that you do it for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Four things you'll see in the outline this morning, and those are four things we learn about in the passage, the first thing we learn about are the devils and the last days. The devils and the last days. Now, by devils, I mean antichrists. I don't mean um, the physical devil and the last days, but the, the antichrists and the last days. It starts in verse 18. Verse 18 reads like this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Three things that we're going to point out real quick and look at. First is children. What is that? Second is last times. And then third is antichrist and antichrists, plural. The first thing, children. Four times already in this book that John wrote to churches in Asia Minor, he's called them children. Why would he call them children? Well, remember, John at this point is in his 90s. Um, so most everyone he comes in contact with is like a child to him. They might be young in the faith or they might just be younger than he is. He's kind of taken on this role of spiritual father to some and spiritual grandfather to others. And since Jesus has gone, um, we might be like third, fourth generation of believers at this point. So John even sees himself as a spiritual great-grandfather, as a spiritual great-great-grandfather to all of these Christians. So he calls them Children, and then he says this, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. Now, I don't know about you, when I think of last days, I think like future. Anyone else? Like you're kind of off in the distant horizon. Someday the end times will come, but certainly it's not, not now. That's what John says, though. John says it is the last hour. It's the last hour Right now, and when we look at the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we see the common teaching of the New Testament and that it is the last hour, that we're living into the end times. Not only do the scriptures teach that we're living in the end times, but it also shows us um, what it will look like to experience living in the end times. So we're gonna look at those two things real quick. What do the scriptures teach about the end times? And then two, what does it look like to experience life in the end? First Peter, verse, chapter one Verse 20, it says this, he, 
This is Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That means before anything was created, God had this whole plan, Jesus, his son, the Messiah, Christ, the whole deal. Think of John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He was foreknown before anything happened. But he was made manifest in when? The last times for the sake of of you, John 1, 1, but then you go to verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word was made manifest. He showed himself. God sent his son Jesus to us so we could see him and know him. And when did he do it? He did it in this period that he calls the last days. Now, when you think of last days, I don't mean like we have lit one literal hour. It's the last hour. We have one hour to live. So, Make the most of it, right? Like that's not exactly what he's saying. But think of last days as this kind of big, big uh, range of time. Who knows? It could be, but so far it's been over 2,000 years that we've been in the last days because that's when it started. When Jesus came, it started the last days. We're in this 2,000 period, last days period. But within this big period of time, the last days, there's kind of this shorter last days um, which we see in the book of Revelation, and that's kind of the really end timesy stuff, the Left Behind series, all that stuff that goes on. Um, and then within that short period of last days, there's a literal last day. So while we might not be living in the last day, and while we might not be living in the very last days, certainly we're living in this period that God calls the last days. Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, the author puts it like this, long ago, and I love this, it kind of starts like Star Wars, right? Long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He really just says, uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. But in these last days, he, this is God the Father, has spoken to us, how? By his son, In the former period of time, God spoke to people by the prophets. He spoke to the fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, this last period of time, this last epoch of time, if you will, God has spoken to us through his son. Acts chapter two, um, verse 17. You can take that off the screen for a second. I wanna kind of give some context. In the Old Testament, there's this book called Joel. Um, Joel's a prophet, and within Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he lays out this prophecy of sons and daughters prophesying, dreaming dreams, doing miraculous things. It's this thing that's prophesied for what's going to happen way, way, way out. So we have Jesus. He comes. He's, he's born, lives his perfect life, 30 years, starts his ministry, three years, 33 years. Um, he's crucified, buried in the grave for how many days? three days, comes back to life. He's on the earth for 40 days. And then he goes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And then what does he do? Ah, right, he goes back up to heaven. Okay, disciples are left here. They're in this room in Acts chapter two and there's the sound of a rushing wind. They're praying and worshiping God and there's this, this rushing wind. You remember this scene in Acts chapter two? And then it says tongues like fire came and rested um, on, on their head and they started speaking in other languages and then people in the streets started hearing these Christians speaking in their language and they're like, what are these people drunk? Like it's crazy. What are, these people are nuts. They have gone completely nuts. And then Peter steps up and he says, they're not drunk. It's like nine in the morning. Are you crazy? They're not crazy. You're crazy. 
And then he goes and speaks this um, sermon at the end of which 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. But within that sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter quotes Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 and says, yeah, that prophecy back then, it's happening right now. Here's what he says. You can throw it back up on the screen again. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit. This is exactly what happened. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. God did this amazing act in the early church and and Peter says, yeah, it's happening right now. And what does he call it? He calls it the last days. It's the teaching of the New Testament that we are in fact living in this big period known as the last days. Not only is that the teaching, but the Bible also shows us what we might experience throughout our life when this period comes. First Timothy says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant. Anyone know a prideful, arrogant jerk? Don't point, that's rude. I mean, we, this, this sounds like people we know. I think someday, sadly, we say it, it kind of it sounds like us. They're abusive, disobedient to their parents, can I get an amen? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. You've been watching TV lately? Um, all the political ads and campaigning things, how it's all based upon slandering and tearing down someone else's character instead of putting yourself forward? Slanderous. It's a, it's a sign of the last times. They're without self-control. They're brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. They look like godly people. They sound like godly people. By golly, they even go to church. But they deny its power. And then he says, avoid such people. The Bible tells us that we're in the last days, we're in the last hour, we're in the last times, and then it tells us what life will be like when we're in the last days, last hour, last times, and it looks like now. And here's the question, how much longer? That's what we always, well, how? How much longer? If we're, in, if we're in the last days, are we close to the last days? And if we're in those last days, are we close to the last day? You ready for my answer? I have no idea. No clue. And I think that's kind of the point. I'm kind of glad God didn't give me a deadline and say, hey, um, just so you know, Thomas, I'm coming to town um, on November blank, 2000 and blank. Could you make sure you're ready for me? Right? Could you at least get your heart right, kind of clean it up a little bit? Because you keep putting some stuff in there that I don't want to live with. Can you, can you just make sure you're ready by then? Make sure you're ready by the last day. Do you know why I'm glad he doesn't do that? I'm a procrastinator. Anyone else? Like, not just a procrastinator, a professional procrastinator, right? Like, you wait till the end and you do it good, right? I'm glad God didn't give us a time. I'm glad he didn't give us a date, you know, because I I wouldn't be ready till the very last minute. I'd wait and wait and wait and put it off and put it off and put it off until I knew he was going to come, and then I'd get my heart right, and then I'd start talking about Jesus, 
And then I'd love my wife the way I'm supposed to. And then I'd serve my kids the way I'm supposed to. And then I'd care for God's people the way I'm supposed to. And then I would, and then I would, and then I would. But he gives us this mindset. You're in the last days. How long? Doesn't matter. We're supposed to live with this idea that we are in the last days, that we will always be ready. Our hearts will always be right. I was reminded this week, um, I'm a country music guy. I love listening to country music. It feels good. Um, There's a song by a dude named Tim McGraw um, called Live Like You Were Dying. You heard the song? A few of you have. A bunch of you are like country gross. Um, I like it. Uh, He tells this whole story about this guy who finds out he's sick, but he's going to live. He wants other people now to live like they're dying. And he says this, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. This idea to live like it's almost done. Don't live like tomorrow's actually gonna come. Live like today's your last day. Live with that mindset that we're in the last days, that we're in the last hours. Ask yourself these questions real quick. Um, If you had one day to live, one day to live, Think about this. If you had one day left to influence your kids, what would that day look like? If you had one day left to really love your spouse, what would that day look like? If you had one day left to leave your fingerprints on your workplace or your fingerprints on on your friend group or your fingerprints in your community, what would that day look like? If your entire legacy was built off of one last day, how do you live it? That's the, uh, the mindset we're supposed to have, that we're in the last days. That we, we don't know when the end is, but I'm always going to be ready. We'll be your church ready for you. We're just saying that. Do we actually believe it and are we actually going to do it? That's the, one of the first things we see. Next it talks about the Antichrist. And we have this idea in our head of, of the end times, the Antichrist, the guy from left behind, Nikolai something. Uh, but yes, yes, there is, there is one Antichrist, but then John says there's actually many Antichrists. That you have heard of, you, you've heard that Antichrist is coming, but now I tell you there's Antichrists that are even here. Well, what on earth is he talking about? Take your Bible real quick. We're going to stay in 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. He says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Yeah, there is, there is some day where there's this kind of capital A antichrist that will come in and he's the guy we see in the books and that's, and that's what's gonna happen. But then he says along the way, there's, there's antichrist already here and who's the antichrist? The antichrist is this. It's every spirit that does not confess Jesus. They're not from God. Go to 2 John, 2 John verse seven, a couple more pages to the right in your Bible. 2 John verse seven, another place he talks about antichrist. Verse seven says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Who is the antichrist? Anyone who does not confess Jesus. 
So it's not just this capital A Antichrist figure that we see in in the end times of the end times, the, the last times, last hour, last day, but there's many who have come right now in the last days we're living in. And it's anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ or anyone who does not confess that Jesus is the Christ. And he says even that, even because those people are amongst us, it gives us reason to believe that the end times, the last days, the last hours are now. So that's the first six words uh, of the passage we have this morning. We have a few minutes left, so we'll we'll get through the next 50-something. 1 John 2, verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain they are all not of us. The second thing we learn about in this passage is the departure of Antichrist from within the departure of antichrists from within. So he doesn't just say that they're out there. He says the antichrists were actually in the church. They were, appeared to be a part of the fellowship. They appeared to be just as Christian as the rest of the Christians. They were saying the same things. They were, they were doing the same things. And, and by our worldly standards, yeah, it really looked like they were Christians. But then it says they went out from us. They denied him. They forgot their confession. They no longer believed and they, they went out from us. Hebrews 3 verse 14 says this, for we have come to share in Christ. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about fellowship and how fellowship is not something we do, but fellowship is something that we are. That when we are in Christ, then we have fellowship with him. And when we are in Christ and our other brothers and sisters who believe in Christ are also in Christ, we now have fellowship and share in one another. He says this, for we have come to share in Christ fellowship if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Original confidence firm to the end. What's that original confidence? The original confidence is is that moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. That you were confident your works weren't good enough to do it, but you were confident that his works were. You were confident that you were a sinner, that you broke God's rules, that there was this giant chasm between the two of you and you weren't capable of crossing that on your own no matter how hard you tried, no matter what you did, no matter what you said, you weren't able to cross that and get into a right relationship with God. And you, your original confidence was that, that I, I can do that through Christ. That, that Christ's blood, that Christ's sacrifice, he stands that gap, he bridges that gap and he gives me right relationship with the Father. It says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold firm, our original confidence, firm to the end. Now, here's the scary part about this. Every single one of us knows um, a family member, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend, who at one point in their life, you would say they were confident in Christ, right? And now you look at their life now and you wonder, was it ever really legit? Because they're off living for the world. They're living in lawlessness. They're living in sin. And you wonder, well, what about that person? Because it doesn't seem like that person is holding their original confidence firm to the end. And I think our tendency is to start passing judgment and throwing stones and doing the fruit inspection thing of, well, clearly good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. And if there's bad fruit in that person's life, then of course 
they're a bad tree. And we start playing um, judge, jury, and executioner. When I think what we should do is play the role of the prodigal father in Luke chapter 15, where we see a story of two sons, one son who saves and one son who leaves. And what does that father do every day? He waits for him with his arms wide open, wishing, hoping, and praying that he'd come back home. That's what our father does for us. He's standing on the porch with his arms wide open saying, come home, come home, come home. That's what we ought to do as well, not play judge, jury, executioner, just say, do you know what? I'm gonna care for them, I'm gonna hope, I'm gonna pray, do the best I can to love them back into the fold of God. Matthew chapter 16 says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all the right things? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's what this reveals to us. See, there's people in the church um, that have you fooled. They're they're playing the part of Christian. They're doing the right things. They're acting the right way, saying the right things and and everything else. And they've they've truly got you fooled. Um, And there's people in this passage who say, hey, didn't I do, I did the right things. And and not only are they fooling other Christians, but they're actually fooling themselves. And what we see here is that you can't fool Jesus. You can do the right things, say the right things, look the right way. And other people, you'll have the appearance of godliness and you'll look like the world's greatest Christian, like God's gift to the world. And, and, then, and then you might even do the right things and say the right things and go through all the motions and be like, I, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. Look at what I'm, what I'm doing. But, but you can't fool Jesus. I think of it like this. I could go stand in a cornfield for seven days, seven years, 70 years. I could stand in a cornfield for the rest of my life pretending like I'm a stock of corn. I will never be a stock of corn. I'm not corn. I can go home today and instead of parking the car in the garage, I can get out of my car and get in the garage and start making car noises. Um, I can put my whole family on my back and crawl through the mud. And in my head, I'm thinking like, yeah, baby, I'm a van. Look how cool I am. And you're looking at me like, I don't think that's how this whole thing works. I can go through the motions and, and pretend and kind of be a fake phony poser and, and do the right things, say the right things, but it doesn't quite cut it. It's the same exact way. We can, we can show up to church, we can do the right things. Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, yes, God, amen. You can go in the back and you can, you can put your money in the box and you can check the box and say, I did my good deed. I did what God requires of me. You might have everyone in this room fooled. Heck, you might even have yourself fooled. You cannot fool Jesus. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about having a right condition in your heart, about truly believing in who Christ is, holding fast to that confidence and having a right relationship with him. The third thing we learn about in this passage is the difference in a true Christian. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 And 21 says this, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. You've been anointed by the Holy One. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter one, he says it like this. He says, in him you also, when you 
heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. It's not that you heard the word of truth and then went through the motions and and did the right things you thought you were supposed to do in order to become a Christian. You you heard the gospel, the good news that uh, it starts with bad news. You're a sinner separated from God. Good news is Jesus came so you can have right relationship with God who created everything, who loves us deeply. And we believed in him. We trusted him. We were confident. We were sure. We're sealed. That's anointed. With the promised Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there's, no for, there's therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. You're sealed, you're secure, you're eternally fast. Romans chapter eight, verse 39 says, nothing will be able to separate us from God. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from his love. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and that his people are the sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and no one will snatch me out of their hand. No one, no one will take them them away from me. We hold fast to our, our confession. We hold fast to our first confidence that Christ is enough, that we can't depend on our own works, but we can depend completely on his works on our behalf. We're sealed. We're anointed. We're different. Here's the deciding factor. The fourth thing we see, the deciding factor, is the denial of Jesus as the Christ. Verse 22 says this, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. There's a very clear dividing line. And you fall on one side or the other. There is no middle ground here. And here's what it's based on. It's based on how you answer and how you believe uh, this question. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the deciding factor. Who do you say Jesus is? In fact, we see this question asked uh, we see it in, again in the Gospels. It says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he his, asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Okay, who, lay it on me. What do people say about me? Who do they, who do they think I am? So some say John the Baptist. Um, that's a compliment, by the way. Uh, Jesus said John the Baptist was among the greatest men who ever lived. So if someone says like, hey, that guy reminds me of John the Baptist, that's a good thing. Others say, Elijah, um, this dude called down fire from the heavens and obliterated a bunch of like, bad prophets and some, some soaking wet wood. Um, so if someone confuses you for Elijah, like you should probably turn down the intensity a bit, but that is ultimately a good thing. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Again, like that's a good thing. Maybe he's Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was an awesome guy. Now here's the question, here's, here's the dividing line, here's where, where the rubber meets the road, but, but who do you say that I am? I'm not concerned about if I'm the externals, what does everyone else say about, about me? We, we shouldn't this morning be concerned about what, is, what does Joe Schmo say about Jesus? What does this person say about Jesus? Right now we need to ask the question, who do I say Jesus is? Who do I believe Jesus is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, that's the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the savior of the world. You are the only one by which I can have a right relationship with God. That's his confession. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. See, it's not just about this lip 
service thing. I know we like to do the sinner's prayer and hey, repeat after me and, and that's a good thing because I think it drops a pin on a date that we truly believed in Jesus. But if all you're doing is lip service and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord but there's never this real belief that happens in your heart, you're missing it. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So let me ask you the question again, who do you say Jesus is? You gotta be on one side or you're on the other. If you're indifferent, you've, you've, you've taken a side and it's not on the side of confessing him to be the Christ. You're defaulting to the other position. And I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I'm not, I'm not saying you're the devil. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is the way that John talks about this, the way he says this, he says you either confessed Christ, you either believe in Christ, you either believe in Jesus to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and therefore are Christian, or you don't. And therefore you are against Christ. That's the deciding factor. What do you say about Jesus, if that's you this morning, maybe you're for the first time thinking like, do you know what, I'm, this is making sense. Uh, I, I feel differently about it this time. I don't know what it is. I feel like God is putting something on my heart. I, I feel like maybe in the past I was on this other side and, and I did lip service. I confessed it. I Hosanna. I sang the songs. I did the right thing. I've even put a few bucks in the box. Like I've, I've done some of the good stuff. I just, that belief, that confidence that, that wasn't there this morning, I'd invite you to cross over to that other line. And I'd love you to not just confess and give lip service, but this morning really ask God to help you believe in your heart that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. What about the rest of us? I want to give you three encouragements. The first encouragement is this. Be purposeful. Be purposeful. Not, not a single one of us is promised a tomorrow. Not a single one of us. We're in the last hour. We're in the last day. If you had one day left to live, how would you live it? Secondly, be alert John says, yeah, Antichrist is coming, but Antichrists are here. And, and where did they come? They came from within us. If you hear false gospel, if you hear weird stuff, if you hear people saying things about Jesus that just aren't sitting right with you, be alert about that. Know the scriptures, know who Jesus really is. And then third and finally, I'd invite you to be faithful. Be faithful, not just with your works, but with your heart, with your confidence, with your confession, with your belief. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. We don't know why. Uh, we're, we're nothing special on our best day. Even when we try to be, our actions just don't cut it. God, this morning, would we not offer you lip service, but would we offer you heart service? Would we, would we give ourselves over to you? Would we truly believe, not just intellectually, but with our heart, with everything that we have? And out of that, God, would flow uh, a response of obedience, of doing the right things, not for the sake of doing the right things, but for the sake of worshiping and responding to a great, great God. God, this morning, as we close in worship, would you... Um, challenge our hearts yet again. Spirit, I ask that you would uh, help us confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he is our living hope, that we would place our, our faith, hope, and trust in nothing else, but we would place our hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus, you are good. We love you, and we pray all of this in your mighty, mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.
Highlands Church, we have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even so, now many Antichrists have come. Be purposeful. Be alert. Be faithful. Be blessed.